Okay, beautiful. I'm Carrie Lake, creator of the Animals of a New Earth podcast and Generation of Harmony and several other things that are all about guiding humanity to function from the foundation of the heart and to really kind of have the sense of what that actually is in our world. Um, the podcast Animals of a New Earth is all about just genuine organic conversations with other beautiful people to illustrate from different facets, from different uh, realms of life, different levels of awareness of the, the intimate relationship between the animal kingdom and humanity and all of the amazing ways that, um, that animals through their own purity of being help humanity remember what that is within ourselves. So um, today we get to play with Eleni Argy, who is in um, Sydney or outside Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. and has a business called She's Like the Wind Equine Experiences. I've mm-hmm. had the amazing honor and privilege of dancing with Eleni for a couple of years now. We've been playing together um, either remotely or I did get to go be with her in person in Sydney and um, we've had quite a beautiful journey that this this one one little podcast thing could not cover the whole thing. But um, I invited Eleni to come and share with us about because she works with young people. She brings young people to the horses to assist them in their lives and and provide them a different kind of guidance. So um, Eleni, I'm so happy you're here. And do you want to add? Hopefully, hopefully you didn't just freeze up. Um, I just want to have you unfreeze. <laughs> well, um, it will be wonderful when Eleni's screen unfreezes. <laughs> there you are. Here I am. I'll bubble my head and save <laughs> That's awesome. Do you want to say anything else to introduce yourself or your work? Um, please do. Please uh, introduce yourself. Share share whatever you'd like to share um, for context or introduction. Thank you, Carrie. I am so grateful to be here. I'm so incredibly grateful for the journey we've had, as you mentioned, um, over the past several years. Um, I do work predominantly with young people, um, sharing um, our wonderful. heard of course programs and interactions that also involve adults individuals groups families and text of um, bringing young people into interactive horses there's really incredible stuff that unfolds um, so I'd love to chat to you more about that beautiful um, the, when when we first started talking about doing this recording it was prompt for me it was prompted by the idea that every little girl loves horses little girls love horses right mm-hmm. and you know it's a thing and mm-hmm. It's less of a thing for boys, at least in West, in our Western cultures, right? In cultures with like English and, and European influence. So 
when when that popped for me, I just wanted to ask you to share what you see about that. Why why do horses speak so much to little girls? What do you see in that? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think horses speak to little girls and big girls. <laughs> <laughs> Until you bring a little boy or a man in that space and you see that equal level of excitement. Mm. Um, I, I think obviously the industry that we're in is predominantly female, right? Uh, I'm not sure if that's an emotional connection. You know, women are really emotional creatures and, uh, and connect in their responses um, emotionally to everything around them. I, I'm not sure if that's it, but there's something really intriguing about horses and girls. Really love it. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see how differently or similarly the younger girls might interact with horses to teenage girls, to women, to older women, right? All these different sort of phases of life. That there's still always this fascination um, that comes down to a beautiful baseline of, you know, horses being these majestic creatures that can relate to everyone. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, boys aren't cultured to kind of go, hey, I want to be a cowboy, I want to be a horseman. Um, but what I've found is as soon as you get a little boy in the paddock, they, they embody that. They embody this, hey wow, I'm, you know, I can interact with a horse. I'm near this big animal. Um, and I think that men do the same. Um, I just don't think it's something that they've been conditioned to, um, to grow up with maybe. But um, right? it's magical to watch what happens when you put little boys in the paddock too. Mm, that's amazing. So then by contrast, there's another observation that in – the world of horse-related competition, Mm. competitors at the top Mm. are predominantly male. Interesting. (laughs) Which suggests that, you know, they've been involved for a long time since they were boys. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to hear you talk about what you see in that, and then I'm happy to share what I see too, but... Um, there's a there's a difference there, right? That mm-hmm. the top of the competitive scale is male. Mm-hmm. The everyday beauty, interaction, inspiration is often associated with female. Uh, you know, little girls mm-hmm. love horses, but the competitors in racing, ranching, mm-hmm. you know, and sport <clears throat> are often predominantly male. So. Mm-hmm. What do you see in that when, when you look at that? Well, what I see, in, and this comes out in our programs too, um, we, we run programs that are for girls and women separately and little boys and men separately. And it's interesting to see how boys and men are definitely more action-oriented. Mm-hmm. They're more... Um, I do want to say competitive in a way in that, you know, that this, um, this bravado comes out, you know, I can do this that, you know, I can't show any weakness and, and they go into a mode of sometimes 
being the best leader or, you know, having control over the animals and things like that. I think with women, it, it is more about the relationship mm-hmm. and building from that. Um, I love to see that type of thing break down when you get boys and men in the paddock interacting relationally with horses where there's no task involved, where there's no competition involved, right? And it's scaled right back to the relationship. And it's a vulnerable place to be, right? Boys don't like that. Men don't like looking vulnerable, right? Um, Women are okay with that. We're actually (laughs) okay with that, right? We can have meltdowns and and then we wipe our tears or whatever and and, uh, just get back up again. It's just a thing we do. Um, And there's... There's not much shame in that um, because it's um, it's just accepted. Um, whereas men, I think, you know, put on this bravado and um, and might have this inner sort of competitive streak um, that might come out, and that's probably why you see that in competitive equestrian sports as well. I don't know. What's your take on this? It's right along right along those lines. You know, whether it's the um, the biological makeup of a male human or it, in, you know, is different than the female human. I'm sure that all, um, you know, the, the biology, the physiology. Um, but I, what I watch a lot is conditioning, you know, like you mentioned a little bit about our culture and that there's this expectation that people in a male body would want this and behave like this and are action oriented and, 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 and there's the expectation of our society that females are emotional and um, flexible and blah, 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 whatever the list of requirements is. And so what the way that I see it is you know, to some people, it seems really nitpicky, but to me, it's vital that when we're talking about having a relationship, you know, relationship oriented, to me, it's really important to draw out what we're saying there, right? Because for little girls, if we say girls are relationship oriented, we're talking about a particular kind of relationship that's open and vulnerable, that, Mm -hmm. you know, we think that's what a relationship is. But somebody over here who is competitive and dominating and um, geared toward causing action with another being, that's still a relationship. Okay? It's it's just a relationship with different dynamics and different outcomes. So, So to me, it's really important to look at our own bias for what a good relationship is, what it, what a, a relationship is emotional and listening and blah, 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 you know, like we associate girls and horses and that's not wrong. That, and it's not right either people. Who, Cause there are a lot of female people who are competitive action oriented. Right. right. And it comes down, you know, we can talk about the divine masculine and the divine feminine, the energy that produces that, but taking that back a little bit to just, you know, the, the human part of things and say, well, what if I give male people 
the space to not have to compete, then what rises to the surface? Is it really who they are? And if if it is, great. Go compete. Have a blast. Mm -hmm. But there's a way to compete without dominating your competition partner, right? Mm -hmm. Like a bobsled team of men, they're not competing with their teammates, right? They're, they're together competing against the clock. And so it's not that competition is bad. It's just, if you're competing, why, where does it come from? Who are you really? So then my question for you um, about that is what is, what are the kinds of um, interactions that you offer people that you offer both men and women that brings either to that place of, of vulnerably recognizing a connection. What, what do you, what tools do you use or what um, exercises do you offer that, that bring people there? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, what you're saying is, is so wonderful. And it, it takes me back to um, about 10 years ago, I had, some of these programs that I was running and I was obligated to run girls groups separately from boys groups. Um, and we did all experiential outdoor sort of stuff. Eventually I started incorporating horses in that, but interestingly enough, we kept the curriculum exactly the same, right? Mm -hmm. There were some things that were a tiny bit more girly, right? And there were things that were a tiny bit more boyish. But the amazing thing was, you know, girls loved the boy stuff just as much, if not more, right? And boys loved doing girly things. I'll give you an example. There were things like, um, you know, create your own face mask. and, And boys would just... You know, there weren't really conditions of going, oh, yeah, I guess I should be moisturizing my face and uh, looking after my skin. But they loved playing in this way. Um, and when I started to incorporate horses, I thought, well, I'm forced to have a girls group and a boys group, you know, separate. But what would I offer with horses as a platform and nature as my platform that would be different. And in my mind, there was nothing different. For me, the animal kingdom and nature, as you know, it's what I call the great equalizer, right? And if you sit in it and play in it long enough, everything starts to make sense and everything starts to balance, right? So to get to your question, (laughs) I know, right? To your question on what what was the same or different, or what did we do? I mean, in the early days, I incorporated some really basic horsemanship stuff, you know, how to lead a horse, how to move the horse around, um, you know, back the horse up. And preceding that, really simple, just be there and hang out with the horse, and what does that feel like, right? But in terms of tasks, there was that little bit of doing in terms of horsemanship. Um, and it didn't make sense for that to be any different in terms of what gender you were interacting with. Um, similarly now, where we have kept some groups gender-specific, and I'll tell you the reason why um, I kept that going, was sometimes women among women 
feel a bit more comfortable to share certain things um, that they might not share in an environment where it's, you know, mixed gender. And these could be our biological kind of differences. You know, you have women that start to talk about childbirth and, you know, infertility and stuff like that. Um, and men won't necessarily really want to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, and interestingly, again, out of men's conversations come these um, um, awareness around, yeah, we're not meant to talk about this stuff. We do mm-hmm. feel all the same stuff, but we're supposed to shut it down and just keep going and do what we do as men out in the community and be a provider and do, you know. Um, again, I've kept the groups separate, but the activity is the same. And um, it's beautiful to watch people really, you know, and I say people because it's any, any and every gender, um, really just go back into themselves. And, um, and as you said, if being competitive is what you really are, then great. Let's do a little task and let's see how competitive you can be. Right? <laughs> if you want to win, if you win, good for you. Good for you. You get first prize if that's important to you. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, conversations around okay, was that important to you? <laughs> and the fact that you didn't win, was that important to you and why, right? Um, and, um, but the same, with, the same with women, right? The same with girls. If we set a task, um, what, I, what I love to see is, as you mentioned, women and girls can get competitive, right? Extremely competitive sometimes. Um, but... Uh, what I love about working with horses is, um, you know, as I said, they're the great equalizer. They will scale you back to what's really important. You know, they will, um, I hate to use the word mirroring, but they will give you that really honest biofeedback as to where you're at. And it's about us just pointing that out and being curious. Hey, why do you think the horse did that? Why did you ask the horse did that? Oh, what do you think that's about? I'm right? so, yeah, I'm so happy that you, you brought up mirroring and then went beyond it. Because um, it really is, like, mirror is a convenient word for humans to have a concept of looking at ourselves. Right? It's It's a really convenient word but the true if we just say the horse is a mirror Mm -hmm. then we cut out the uniqueness of that living being who's going to respond differently to me than a different horse right and this this is the like the heart of of the conversation that i would love to just continue to integrate into people's self-awareness is other creatures on the planet are not here just to be tools to humanity. They're here with grace, with profound grace to walk side by side Mm -hmm. as something different yet equal Mm -hmm. to the human species. It's just, we have this different consciousness that can look at the horse and be curious and say, why do you think he did that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so beautiful to me that we can, 
we can assist each other in this way. And this is why, like, my book is called Listen Like a Horse. That's exactly why, because horses are not evaluating that you should be different than you are. They are simply saying, oh, well, there you are. And here's me in relationship to you when that's how you show up. And then the the moment you shift the way you're showing up, the horse will say, okay, well, here's me now that you have shifted this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, again, it looks like a mirror until you're willing to grant that animal uniqueness Mm -hmm. and intelligence and awareness and cognizance Mm -hmm. and and consciousness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do people listen every moment of that interaction? Mm-hmm. That's what, that's where the beauty lies, and that's where their relationship unfolds, and that's where the experience unfolds every minute. Mm-hmm. Right? When you have an awareness of yourself and the other being, whether it's a horse or another creature or another human, and interacting with that every minute. What's it like? What does that feel like? What is, you know, where is my mind when this is happening? Where's my body when this is happening? And, oh, what happened there with you? Right? <laughs> yeah. And now it's happening. And like you said, it's, it's these shifts um, that occur in every moment. And that's mm-hmm. what a relationship is, isn't it? It's bringing yourself with your awareness into interaction with another. Mm-hmm. It's not you know, a relationship itself doesn't have a list of requirements necessarily because you and I are having a relationship. We're in a relationship here. We're relating with one another, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So when, um, when younger people come mm-hmm. and play with you and your programs and you share with them and guide them and give them tools Mm-hmm. what kinds of things do they tell you? How does it help or change their world? What are they willing to share with you about um, what, what they get when they do, when they step into a very aware relationship? I mean, I know I talk to a lot of people that are like, you know, yeah, kids really need this. Kids, 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 kids suck. You know, there's a lot of kids suck out there, which it, to me just blows my mind. I can't see it. I can't see that kids suck at all, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, can you talk about that, about the mm-hmm. feedback that younger people give you about their experiences? Yeah, sure. It's interesting because young people love to show up, right, for different reasons than their parents or teachers or psychologists or whatever have directed them to showing up for. Um, kids just love being there. And, and when I ask kids, you know, why are you here? They can't, they don't often have the vocabulary to say, I'm here to target this. I'm the outcome I want is that right. It's the adults that impose all of that on these kids. Um, And yes, we'll have all those outcomes, right? But what I love in the beginning is the lack of conversation. They come in and just be, Ah. right? Because that's all they want out of it. 
they come, they literally will sit in the barn and horses will come stick their heads in and they get curious and poke their noses in and they just love it. And their bodies and faces and expressions will start to feel all that good stuff, right? What, what I love even more is by the end of a session, whether it's an hour, 90 minutes, whatever it is, whether there are any tasks or not, right? And I do try to weave in a lot of non-tasks, a lot of just being and hanging out and noticing and breathing and, you know, what does it feel like to be back in our bodies before we actually do anything? We might not even get to do anything, right? The whole session might just be hanging out. But what I love is by the end of that hour, all of a sudden, miraculously, there's vocabulary, right? This is how I'm feeling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I must say, Carrie, I do, in terms of tools, I do incorporate so many of the tools that I learned from you. Hmm. And it, it still continues to blow my mind how much vocabulary can come out of that. Mm-hmm out of just noticing, right? What, but you need to allow yourself the time and the space to notice what is happening for you and what is happening in your environment and what is happening with whoever, whatever is there in your space creating, co-creating this experience, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow, even with kids and young people and the most troubled young people, right, that at school would never be able to say how they're feeling or what they're thinking, somehow find the vocabulary to express it. Right? It doesn't take long. Really doesn't. It's so, and it's so amazing. Yeah. It's even just as you're sharing, it's so real Mm -hmm. for me too. You know, I was talking to somebody else earlier today about listening and how listening is probably my favorite thing in in creation, you know, in physicality. And it's not, you know, listening is, is truly this willingness to show up, you know, and I'm, I'm deliberately not using the word present and presence Mm -hmm. because a lot of people get pretzled up when you use that word. But for those who don't get pretzled up, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But people willing to actually show up, with their body and their awareness and their curiosity and their kindness and their openness just to say, yes, I see you. Yes, I hear you without words, right? Mm -hmm. Listening is one of the kindest, most profoundly healing gifts that we have to share with one another. And as humans conditioned to function as the provider, the strong one, or the the nurturer the caretaker the cleaner whatever 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 the conditions are we're so conditioned that for one thing we often you know humans often feel like there's nobody listening for one thing and so when you don't have the experience of how it feels that someone would listen then it becomes difficult to be the listener as well and to provide that much space for another to be exactly as they are and require nothing different of them 
but that is the space where all of the these shifts can happen where where the clarity can come where suddenly a person is young or old is relaxed enough in their body so that whatever their level of vocabulary they can suddenly produce communication mm-hmm. so when you're working with young people is it different than working with adult with people who are linearly older it maybe is. not emotionally older all the time but linearly older is it different it's so different it's so different um i mean what's beautiful is we have a baseline of just being being human right this is humanity right right, <laughs> right? we have bodies and we have hearts and we have emotions and our minds you know is this incredible thing um but how we process things at different times in our life is different. Mm. How we react to things at different times in our life is different, right? And, you know, biology has a lot to do with that, as you said before, and hormones might have something to do with that. Um, but I love how kids can, they might have an expectation of something, but they're really happy to let it go like that, right? <laughs> right? Wow, check out that horse. Wow, you know, they're, <laughs> they're so willing to move through these moments and these shifts when you allow them a space to do that without judgment, right? Yeah. And when, as you said, when you allow a space for listening, whether it's humans listening or whether it's Horses listening, which is why I love that whole concept of listen like a horse. When a horse listens, they are completely embodied in that, in that moment, in that accepting of whatever they're receiving, whatever it might be, right? That's really listening without judgment. Um, And when we can do that, even to the slightest degree as humans, right? Kids respond to that like this, right? I find adults have a few more walls up. They're, you know, mom's thinking about what she's going to cook for dinner. Dad's thinking of, you know, how much money that business deal is going to make him or whatever it might be. Um, and it takes a little bit longer sometimes for some adults to get into that moment of, of really letting stuff go and allowing themselves to be present, um, which, uh, you know, can happen <laughs> sometimes quicker than others for, for certain people, but um, sometimes it takes a really long time, um, you know, especially if it's been an adult who's been hanging on to a lot of stuff. Um, kids, I find, uh, are a bit more willing to go, oh, wow, that's a better way? Okay, right? Let's try that. So um, that's why I love working with kids, and especially teenage kids. They're at that place of crossroads everywhere right and right right. you have choices everywhere in every second what should i do this or that huh if i do this what's gonna happen that was kind of stinky maybe i'll backtrack and go that way (laughs) but i think kids are good at taking making choices right and then checking out with curiosity what that did right and learning from that yeah, so cool, so so cool. Because 
what we're talking about here too, when the tools, right? The tools I love to play with are all about um, recognizing intuitive information, recognizing sensory information, really, truly the way animals do. You know, animals are not projecting into the future whatever they experienced in the past. Now, I have to qualify that because there are lots of people who will say, you know, my dog remembers what ha- that he got scared at that house. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. They, re- they retain the, um, the reaction and they retain information about their environment. But the difference between um, human projection and animals is humans have the capacity to judge that I'm going to prevent this from happening again because it's bad and it's wrong, or I'm going to set things up in such a way that this happens over and over and over. Cause I never want to experience anything other. We're the ones that have that ability to choose. So the tool sharing the tools among the horses that point people's awareness to their own self validation, like sharing that with kids and teenagers is invaluable and doing it in a way where they're, you're not wrong, but try to, you know, check out, check it out if you look at it this way. That's and then right. they can prove to themselves that I'm choosing this because of how it feels, right? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you empower the kids in this way to make choices, do you find that they choose selfishly? Do you find that they choose um, in a very self-serving like I win and nobody else wins, but me way, or is it different than that? It's different than that. When it's in the presence of, because I've worked with kids in, in an environment, you know, in a school environment, for example, yeah. um, where Nature was not the setting where, you know, learning tools and tasks and activities were a huge part of um, the environment and the experience, right? And and there's value in that type of learning, too. Um, but when what I notice is when kids are in a natural setting, and I can only speak about horses because I work with horses, um, but I'm sure it happens with other animals too. It's a completely different forum, right? Mm-hmm. And if you set a task, sure, there might be some that might get competitive and want to win. But at the end of the day, I don't think I've ever seen anyone get upset for not achieving a certain task or because the activity took a totally different direction, because it does and it will. (laughs) And that's kind of the fun and the beauty of it, because, you know, animals will do that. They're their own creatures with their own, you know, agendas (laughs) and their own minds. And, you know, they'll just interact the way they want to interact in that moment. And that will take your activity and spin it on its head. And I love that. I love going, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's see who can actually even do that, right? Yeah. And let's actually see where it is going to go. And it'll go somewhere different. Um, and, uh, and then what comes out of that, the beauty of the conversations that come out of that and the beauty of the reflections and awareness that come out of that. 
are really, again, it puts people back into that baseline, right? Of why are we really here? Was the outcome of this task really important? Was it important to beat the other person? Was it important? You know, what was important here to you, you know, to each person? Um, and uh, yeah, that's, it's interesting to, to watch that unfold every time. Yeah. It, and I just, I love so much that you work with teenagers and that you love working with teenagers just because I know there's a lot of opinions mm-hmm. about teenagers without a lot of compassion for mm-hmm. what teenagers have to process mm-hmm. in this world, the way the world is built that, you know, in, in a lot of um, urban settings are, there isn't access to nature. There's the disruption of nature and it's it you know it just illustrates it illustrates the contribution that nature is whether it's you know the the presence whether it's the presence of a horse or um working with dogs like i have another beautiful woman that i work with who um works with dogs in in prison with men, you know, even young men in prison and Mm. teaches them how to work with the dogs to, um, to do sniffing work, to identify scent. Because when you're teaching a dog to do scent work, you cannot punish a dog into doing scent work. Mm. Right. Just because if you're doing straight obedience, you can use punishment to make a dog be obedient but to sniff things out you've got to be listening watching side by side guiding rewarding appreciating respecting and it is it's that is the way that these people who are in prison have access to nature right to the nature of a creature who only wants to connect with you. Mm-hmm. That's what they're about. That's how nature perpetuates itself is connecting, connecting, connecting. That's right. Fine. And people think it's um, because of science. And I guess I just have to put this out there, but because of science, there's this perception, you know, that nature is dog eat dog, that nature is the strongest survives. And, you know, in a certain light, that proves itself out, but only when you're looking from, from a limited lens of um, counting who lives and who dies. It, counting who lives and who dies asks you to go beyond the relationships that lead to that one being strongest, mm-hmm. to the, the family strength that, um, that lets everybody be exactly who they're born to be. And humanity has the capacity to experience that within ourselves. Otherwise, you wouldn't see what you see when you bring kids to the horses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's within them, isn't it? And, and we bring them to nature so that they can start to let themselves experience that part of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... and- and to, to witness and to ask questions about 
this very thing that you're talking about. That yes, it might appear that there there's competition in nature and there's hierarchy in nature, and um, and there are relationships and relational things that happen. Um, and it's you know it, I love how young people get really curious and ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. about their place in that mm-hmm. and every being's place in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only really ever see that happening in a complete way in the work that we do outside in nature with animals. And I've worked in a classroom setting too, where you're trying to teach these concepts in a different way. Um, But the most profound learning in terms of my own experiences being out there teaching in, in all different ways with all different modalities, the most profound learning has happened out in nature and then put animals in that mix. Wow, that's just setting setting kids up to to succeed in life, to succeed as human beings. Yeah, right. And and to yeah to find goodness. Yes. In themselves and everyone else. So, what did it take for you to be a human who can operate this way and who can guide and see and ask the questions? And have the space for teenagers to do this discovery. What did it, what did it take for you to be that kind of human? <laughs> oh, are we going back into into my history now, Carrie? It, no, it's it really yeah. as, much, as much or as or as little as you would like to share. But like, you yeah. know, just feel your own heart with it, you know, and like. Um, thank you for asking that question. Um, <sighs> I think people are born into situations um, for whatever reason, right? And it's it it's what they then do with what they're given that is a real test of their place in this life. So, um, yeah, I had lots of challenges the first twenty years of my life uh, in my family environment, and. There was a lot of trauma there. There was um, a lot of um, really no. There was a lot of knowing that what I was experiencing wasn't the right way, right? And I didn't understand why it was happening, but I knew in my body, right, as a child and at every age for those first twenty years that there were things that were incongruous Mm. in my relationships and in my family and in how things were um, then being processed, right, through through a place of trauma. The toughest time that I had was when I was a teenager, and the reason for that was that I was then starting to question not only all the things that teenagers question and all the things that teenagers experience, but was also questioning why things were the way they were in my family. Um, and I had a hard time with that. I, I knew I knew the answers, right? I knew what should have been, but I, I couldn't explain why it was the way it was, right? So having to navigate that when you're trapped in a a family or you're trapped in a situation uh, that just is for you um, made me think of things in a different way. 
Mm. And that's, that's the best I can kind of describe it. And, and I was constantly seeking something different that matched the way I was feeling inside. Right. I knew that when it wasn't right, it felt yucky. And I knew that when it was right, it felt good. Right. And that's just simple, simple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it felt good, I wanted to do more of that. And, and good for me was in nature with my animals, doing creative things, right? Being in my body. I used to dance and I used to sing and I did art. And these are all the things now that we say to kids, kids need to go back to nature. They need to go back to the arts. They need to get, you know, go back into your body. Well, we're in our body the whole time, right? <laughs> it's just about learning how to be in our body, right? And, um, and being okay to, to make those choices, right? Like I said, these choices just unfold. And as you said, and, and, and very, very appropriately so, it's an intuitive um, guidance that once we learn that it's okay to listen to that and make choices based on that, all the goodness unfolds. It's right. true. That's just so. I had a pretty strong intuition as a kid, but it does. You know, I mean, there were things that were just so simple and so obvious where you go, "This is really not appropriate and not right," and this this way feels a lot better. Um, and so I think I learned how to hone into that more and more and more as I went. Um, and being then an adult in a place where I could, uh, yeah, just kind of make my own choices and how I wanted to navigate life and a career. And I started off doing something totally different, nothing that had to do with animals at all. Um, and always kept coming back to working with people, working in nature, working experientially, um, and not just working, living, living that. Right. So now the work I do is actually just me living in a way that feels right, in a way that feels appropriate, because what happened to me the first 20 years was not appropriate. It was incongruous to how things really should be. It was not in alignment. It was not <laughs> this. <laughs> right. Um, and with kids, the most troubled kids would just come across my path. And as you said before, there's so much stigma around the naughty kids, the bad kids. And for me, it was like, these are just kids that are so misunderstood that have had probably a lot of complex stuff happening in their family life. Yes. Um, and they haven't been given the opportunity to shine from within. And, and they haven't been given opportunities to find a way to heal and navigate through their stuff so that then they can move forward in, in a way that's true to themselves. Right. So I was, yeah, uh, just the, the, the naughty kids would find me and I was like, Hey, hey. Right? Like, I see you. I see you. I do that all the time. And I think when kids come into our space and the barn and the paddock, I think they see that. In the first minute of my interaction with them, it's, I see you and I got you. And just come have a look at this. Let's hang out and let's play. And let's let's play in a different way 
in a way that has nothing to do with society or your family or the junk that's going on out there in the world right now. Let's play in a way that's right in the here and now, right? And, uh, and it works. Yeah. That's all I can say. You know, I know there's so much science around all this now, and that's amazing. God bless the scientists that are going to go out there and research all this stuff, right? But for me, all I know is how it made me feel as a child, as a teenager, and as an adult, right? And I'm just going with that, Harry. So I... That's the long answer. It's so beautiful. Alini, thank you. Thank you for sharing so much of it. And so, um, so genuine. And so I've been like, okay, how do I want to ask this? There's, there's plenty of people that I'll start to share with and about uh, self-awareness and the, the sensory awareness and the intuitive clarity and, and horses and animals and, and how, how that their presence facilitates the dissolving of patterns that dissolving of the judgments and, and who I think I am that's covering up my heart. Right. And some, sometimes people will say, Oh, but what if I didn't have a traumatic childhood? What if I had a great childhood? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, so that, that stuff's not appropriate for me. I'm fine, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and how do you respond? Because, and again, I'm happy to share how I respond, but what's, what is that like for you? Do people come up to you and say, well, I don't, I don't have trauma to go through. Well, you had a traumatic life and, and that's your world, but I'm fine. You know, do you ever encounter that? I do, I do. And, and um, those are the people that often go, we just want to come and hang out with horses. And I go, that's great, right? And so we invite them into the space. But before you know it, people's stuff will come out, right? As I said, they find the vocabulary to bring stuff up, right? Wonder how that happens. <laughs> and it doesn't, doesn't necessarily need to be a huge traumatic event or, you know, years and years of ongoing stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as humans, we go through stuff. And what might appear really small to you might be really big to me and vice versa. And uh, so it's not about, you know, comparing whose junk is worse or better or, you know, um, people do often come in with, you know, yeah, I got nothing. It's my kid that needs all the help. Right. I get a lot of that. And then, then we realize how much we're, the parents need to do that's a whole different conversation but, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right um but the people that just go you know I mean I just I try not to push the marketing and stuff like that at all I feel that the the people who are gonna align with this uh are gonna find us right yeah. so the reasons for that could be trauma, could be anxiety, could be whatever's going on in their head. Um, and it could be nothing. I just want to come hang out with horses. Right. Sometimes it's, what do you do? What even is that? It's like, you know, and, and it's hard to explain, as you know. And so I just say, you know, I'll say, look at the website. But even that's very airy-fairy and very general. Because how do you put into words 
the, the real shifts that happen in people within minutes, within minutes, as you know. Um, and so it's like, we'll just come and see, right? And they'll just then have an experience and every experience will be unique, yeah. right? There's beauty in every single one. Yeah. I love it. This that's part of what I want to draw out for everybody, and um, is that it's you don't have to be you don't have to decide that you're broken mm-hmm. in order to bring more love from your heart and out into your life. You don't mm-hmm. have to be broken in order to earn the right to have assistance and guidance, because in fact, nobody's broken. You know, like like what you said about, you know, kids and teenagers, like they've got some complicated stuff going on. We all did at different, you know, different places in our lives and we learned how to cope with it. And then we said, well, that must be who I am for the rest of my life, either consciously or unconsciously, whatever. And so this is again, coming back to how, how horses touch our hearts and animals and nature in general, how, how much of a contribution they are to helping humanity live with an open heart. There's absolutely nothing about an animal that says you're broken. I need to fix you. And in, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, they will see you and say, I can see you right through all of that. And I'm right here with you. And that is the magic. That's them listening and providing humans the opportunity to feel, to have the experience of being heard, even without words that, and when we can feel heard without words before we use words, that's what opens the space for that, the true genuine communication and connection to come forward through words or through touch or Mm -hmm. through just an exhale of, of recognition and acceptance and honor and compassion for one another to the degree that you don't, there's, you, there's nothing to prove because everybody can feel the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the great gift that the, the innate harmony of nature perpetually offers humanity it's just a matter of will we make ourselves available to it you know Mm -hmm. and i think i think often people think that trauma is the only way you have it has to be so bad that finally you're willing to to be harmonious but i think um with the shift in consciousness and young people new people on the planet are already wired differently that they're not interested in suffering Mm-hmm. For for the right to earn a moment of peace, mm-hmm. it's more obvious. Like no, like you and I knew when we were kids. Like this, this isn't the way, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like there's this is off. This is off. Yeah, you know when it's off, <laughs> right? Right, and, and you I, know when it isn't. You know when it isn't. Yes, because it, it's a profoundly different experience, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think new people now are showing up already mm-hmm. wired for the, for their majority experience to be mm-hmm. in harmony. Like, why wouldn't it be mm-hmm. like, it is weird that we would have to knock each other down in order 
to be loved or, mm-hmm. or be fed, you know, or be appreciated. And this is the, the big schism in the old way, shifting in this brackish water before we can emerge into something more clear as we go forward. But, um, is there anything that you would like to say or ask before we wrap up for today? Well, I, I love that you mentioned that the, the newer generation of young people um, are emerging in a different way. And, and I believe that and I see that on a daily basis with young people. They, they show up emotionally aware, right? They show up wanting guidance in a different way, right? And, and lapping it all up when you show them something that's different from what's been happening through history, right? And, uh, and I love that. And they're so willing to use that as a new platform, mm. right? Um, for me, there's a huge, you know, working with young people, I do need to say this, as, as, um, as beautiful as it is to work with a young person one-on-one or, you know, in groups, um, you know, with kids all together, for me, that missing link is the family. Mm-hmm. So when we can bring in the parent or carer or the whole family, the siblings, a lot of magic happens there in terms of shifting some of those platforms that they can then take with, take that back with them, mm-hmm. uh, and and look at things in a different way. Um, I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it does. It provides common ground, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Where everybody has had an experience of of witnessing and seeing and experiencing each other mm-hmm. in a different, harmonious light, and then. Mm-hmm they can be on the same team from a totally different foundation. Exactly. It is, that's like, oh my God, blow my mind, beautiful. You know, what a gift. When I work with families, we, you really see, you know, the, the gender stuff we were talking about before, like the dad being a provider and, you know, the mom being whatever mom is and the siblings all, you know, being a certain way. Um, the vulnerabilities come forward and all that pretense starts to strip away. Mm-hmm. And I love watching that unfold with families. And then, as you said, that can then be used as a new platform for communicating in a different way, for relating in a different way, connect, connecting um, in a different way. And I think that's the beauty of, um, of offering this as a new paradigm and as a new platform, right? So really new. I say new, but it's, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> It's just part of nature. But um, in this newer generation, I think they're much more clued in, right? And when we say to them, yeah, actually what you think is the right way, that actually is the right way, and go from there, right? And trust this, trust the artist, and, uh, and go from there. So beautiful. It's just, I I just, I'm so grateful. Thank you for sharing so much and for your, um, your ability to articulate all this and and share the experience because 
hearing it in different ways in different contexts is it's just going to touch everybody differently you know mm-hmm. so i'm um so grateful and honored that i'm a part of this conversation in general and um so happy that you're here with me and doing what you do and being who you are and so so beautifully committed to your own journey you know Harry, I'm, uh, I'm so grateful for you, <laughs> your existence, and our connection that we've had over the past few years. And every conversation that I've had with you has allowed me to expand the way I think and the way I am as a human being and, um, and the way I connect to myself and then to every everything and everyone else around me. And I'm so grateful to you Thank for you. all of that. Mm. Thank you so much, sweetness. Oh, well, we, we will keep it rolling. We'll keep doing more. And, um, and again, thank you so much. And I just, all of my love to you and everybody that you touch and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs>